from NJFN's Media, and welcome back to the Shilling for Shiano podcast. I am joined. I think I think we, a we're, new, we're due for yeah. another rebranding, huh? Another rebranding, at least for now. Uh, I'm joined as always by James Cratch, and not as always by Keith Sargent, who decided to take the weekend off in Indianapolis and didn't have to uh, subject himself through that game, and he will never hear the end of it. But. He's here now. Thankfully, he managed to come out. Good to have you, Sarge. Nice to have you back for, for yeah, the podcast. Yeah, Sarge. I mean, yeah, I, I, truth, be told, this, I truth be told, I was in Indianapolis, but I just went to St. Elmo's instead. I didn't go to the game. <laughs> just didn't go to the game. Well, you didn't miss anything except uh, rock bottom. I mean, it's funny. We And our old pal, Ryan Dunleavy, uh, joked that we should count the number of times we have actually said that. Well, this is rock bottom for Rutgers. But I think, I don't know, I think we found it. I mean, Crouch and I were talking about it. I mean, look, you know, to lose back-to-back games to the two teams that you must beat to be relevant in the Big Ten or have any chance of making a ball game, Maryland and Indiana, to lose the way they did to those two teams at back-to-back weeks. I don't know, Crouch. It feels like rock bottom. It does. I mean, obviously, they're going to play Ohio State, which (laughs) I'm getting, like, goosebumps thinking about this. But... (laughs) Yeah, it's rock bottom. I mean, I know some people took offense to this, but if you want to win the Rose Bowl someday, like step one is to be better than Indiana. And they have now lost four straight in the series to the Hoosiers. And I say the Hoosiers are a good program with a good coach, but I mean, come on. Like, you got to be better than Indiana, folks. Gosh. And it was, I mean, uh, you know, it was just a, the way they lost too. The, we made a lot about the one passing yard, and I get it. It's just one of those things that gets picked up on deadspin. It's just a stat, and I, I remember having this conversation with with Chris Ash about the tone of coverage, and it was just, hey, just suck normal. Don't do things like five interceptions and eight passing yards against Maryland. One passing yard is another example of just a team. All right, hey, look, you know, just it, it, when you have something like that, it's just it just reflects badly on. The, it's going to get national attention. But the thing I didn't think got enough attention, Sarge, was that Tom Allen should get a Nobel Peace Prize for the way he, he tried to keep that score down in this game. And it, I mean, the fourth quarter, they got the ball with like eleven minutes left on their own twenty-nine, and spent ten minutes just running up the middle until they got to like fourth and ten. And just, you know, again, another dive into the line to essentially, you know, end the game. It was something else. I, mean, I don't know if you saw it, but it was <laughs> it was quite emasculating. I did. And and to that point, I mean, people, the, the misconception with, with Michigan when they beat Rutgers 78 to nothing uh, a few years ago was that Michigan ran it up. When in reality, anyone who actually watched that game would tell you, like, they did not. They were doing everything they could not to score in the fourth quarter. Chris Ash. You know, even said like he even acknowledged that they, they did not run that score up. Yeah. Indiana, same same type of deal. They, they they just were doing everything they could not to score. And to the point about about the passing attack, where where and we, we could talk about this later. But you know, so much is going to be talked about with the quarterback, and you know, the quarterback is obviously he's the one who gets the stat line to one passing yard. But you know, it it is folks, it is such an indictment of the offense, the personnel the offensive line, the lack of playmakers. And, yeah, I mean, you know, the quarterback takes the blame for it, of course. You know, but, you know, a perfect example. The first play of the game, you know, they, they, they have a play that, you know, was drawn up well. They probably worked on it ten times during the week. They probably executed it during practice. And then what happens on the first play? The uh, yeah. right guard gets stepped on. The defensive tackle mauls Johnny Langan. And, you know, a play in which uh, Mo Jabby, you know, drags across the middle, looks like he's open. 
never has e- even a chance to, to, to hit on because Langan gets gets crushed and you know that, that kind of set the tone for an entire game. Yeah, and and we you know Crouch, you wrote about this, and it's just it really is just and all, aside from that too, you know the number of times that Rutgers has changed offenses and tried to go in another just or maybe this will work, maybe this will work, maybe I mean it, it's it's really just a talent thing, and I think now you're seeing just another system that doesn't I mean the personnel is not right for whatever they're trying to do now. I mean you you you, you talked about that a little bit in your in your story after the game. No, no doubt. Like they just, they, it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmy's and Joe's, obviously that old kind of cliche. But I think the biggest issue Rutgers has is, you know, you mentioned the, the whole like suck normal concept. They got six games left. I will say right now, I would get bet there's at least two or three more of those sub 50 passing yard games left. Wow. Because I just don't see how this is going to get any better. I mean, I, you know, they had a full week of preparation yeah. and they were even worse, <laughs> you know, like, and now they're just going to play better teams and better defenses. You know, the, the book is out there on, on what they can do. And, you know, if Art Sikowski is not going to break his red shirt, and I think Nunzio Campanelli said the word comfortable several times. I mean, the reason why he's red shirting is because he doesn't really fit this, the vision of, of what Campanelli wants to do now that he's running the show. They're not going to throw Cole Snyder out there to the Wolves. That's not going to do any, get them anywhere. So they just have to kind of muddle along with what they have. And what they have is just – it has nothing – it's not the player's fault. It's not necessarily Campanelli's fault. It's just not a Big Ten offense. Right, right. It, it's brutal. And, you know, and it, it, we, we were kind of looking at it from a historical standpoint. You know, uh, it's, it's uh, again, six Big Ten games to go – or six, six games to go, excuse me, five in the Big Ten. Maybe something will change. But I mean, this could be an historic, you know, people who might talk about this as the worst Big Ten team ever. I mean, it's already 165 to seven in scoring, you know, and I wonder now what the, what the ramifications of that are. As you're going through a coaching search, people, you know, are watching this unfold. The candidates are watching this unfold each week. I mean, is this going to, sorry, do you think this is going to affect who might take this job? I mean, is it going to, I get it. They're going to pay a lot. They're probably going to give, <laughs> give a lot of years. It's a Big Ten power five job, but. I mean, are you going to start seeing that some some candidates who, you know, would have been in the mix otherwise are going to say, yeah, you know what? No, thanks. A lot of this is speculation, right? I mean, I've been saying this all along um, that, I mean, today they they, they hired uh, their search firm. Um, So, you know, up until now, while I while Pat Hobbs had had a list in his back pocket, there was no serious candidates. I mean, you know, that that. He the search basically begins today, so a lot of it is speculation. But that being said, I think it's safe to say that you know, based on talent, based on j- just what anyone would be inheriting, they're g- not going to be able to get a power five sitting a sitting power five head coach. Which um, now Joe Moorhead might might fall into her laps because he might be under so much pressure at, at Mississippi State if they go four and eight, five and seven, um, that maybe they he falls into her lap. That's different. But, you know, a, a sitting Power 5 coach, you know, who, who's in a good situation, you're going to look at this, look at the talent that, that he's inheriting. And like you wrote, you know, it's going to be a seven-year contract. You know, it's going to be a, you know, you're, I'll come, but you're going to have to, to, to give me $5 million and, and give me seven years. So right. it's going it, to, it, you know, it's the, what, what anyone's going to be inheriting is, is uh, you know, they're going to be looking at it and it's bad right now. 
right. And just to piggyback on what Sarge just said, this idea I see, you know, some fans put on Twitter that all Rutgers has to do is just pay a lot of money and hire a good coach. It's all going to get fixed. One, we know Rutgers is going to pay more for the next coach than they paid Chris Ash. But what coach is going to want to take that? I mean, that money, no coach who ha- has a career trajectory on the rise is going to just say, oh, give me that paycheck. I need to come to Rutgers. It doesn't work that way. You're either going to hire a guy who's just looking for a payday, which will put this program in even worse straits, or you're going to be disappointed and you're going to get a guy who's a group of five guy and you're not going to pay him a lot and fans are going to kind of bellyache. I think the Moorhead's a little different because it seems like things are really going south for him at Mississippi what, State. What, but well, I mean, sorry to cut you off, Crash, but like we, we talked about this. Like Chris Ash in 2016 was a defensive coordinator of the, uh, of the uh, national champion. Like his career path, if he doesn't take Rutgers, maybe he doesn't get Syracuse. Maybe he has to, you know, wait, wait uh, another year. But he he was going to be a a power five head coach somewhere, right. whether it was Rutgers or somewhere else. Yeah, you could probably safely assume he's never going to be another power five coach. There's only so many of them any anyway. You know, his record, is, you know, is, is is abysmal. You know, maybe you know he, he goes back, becomes a defensive coordinator somewhere. You know, rebuilds his image. Maybe gets a you know a you know a a, a group of five a, you know group of six school. Maybe I could see that. You know the guy. Guy is well respected in, in the industry, but you know his, you know the 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 term that people say is, you know, Rutgers is a career killer, and and you know <laughs> to to that point is, you know, I I think anyone's going to look at it. It's not about money. It's not about years. It's just about the the perception within the coaching fraternity that you know you can't win here. Yeah. Then the the flip side of that coin too, Sarge, and it's you're right, but now you've got a fan base. When when you're going to try to introduce Joe Moorhead, if say say he is the guy who's going to say, "Well, this guy just went four and eight at Mississippi State," I mean, uh, you've got, yeah. you got the other side of it where you know now the there's no natural candidate except the one that we had we you know we we talked about a billion times. I mean, I think that that's the other part of it. It's like it's you know I just don't see a guy out there that people are going to go crazy for. To me, I'm not worried about. I mean, I've heard that before, but it's probably not about winning the press conference. And if Joe Moorhead is four and eight. There will be skepticism, you know, over, over, uh, you know, look, you know, look what he just did. But you have to take in consideration that it's the SEC at a place that, you know, traditionally, you know, is always going to be second fiddle in, you know, the SEC. And maybe he was a fish out of water. And you have to look at his Penn State tenure and his Fordham tenure as well. And the fact that he's a New York guy. Um, but, but he inherited you know, it. Just he starts. He inherited a good team in Mississippi State. Am, did, I, am, yeah, I, am I wrong as, as the SEC person in this call? I mean, he he came into a pretty good situation, right? No, he he, he did. He did. Now, I think he came into a place where there's a there's a unrealistic expectation. You know, I think that you know I've always said Dan Dan Mullen is blessed that Jim McElwain crashed and burned at Florida because if he ha- if that if McElwain had succeeded Florida, Mullen was at a point where he was basically. He had his little run. He'd been number one in the country. Now he was settled into that. We're going to go eight and four every year, and we're never going to be better than LSU in Alabama. And at some point, they were going to fire him because they think they should be Alabama and Mississippi State. So I think Moorhead's fighting that. But you know, Sarge, I understand that winning the press conference isn't, isn't the be all and end all. But like at some point, Rutgers football needs to win something. Yeah, but they need to win games. They don't need to win the press conference. I mean, you know, I, I get the momentum, but if they hire the right guy. Well, you know, regardless of the uh, of the fact that you know if, if they win the uh, press conference or not, which is such an overused term anyway, um, you know, you need to hire a guy who who you have confidence in. They're going to 
win the recruiting battle, and they're going to ultimately win games. All right, let's dive into the true or false, because I've got some good ones for you this week. Uh, You know the rules, as always. Let's jump in. All right, true or false? Rutgers will score again in a Big Ten game this season. Cratch. True. Sarge. An offensive touchdown or a (laughs) – I mean, I I was thinking offensive touchdown. Maybe a field goal? Can can Corsak kick it through the uh, upright? I'll take true. (laughs) Rutgers will score two – Two more touchdowns in Big Ten games this season. True or false? Cratch. True. Sarge? True. Rutgers will score four more touchdowns in Big Ten games this season. Cratch? False. <laughs> false. Yeah, false. That's where I'm putting it, which is kind of amazing. I, if, I, if you put it on three, if you put it three and a half, I would probably take the under. Uh, Nunzio Campanile should beg Art Sikowski to play again. True or false? Cratch. True. False. I think it might be too late, but all right. True or false? This offensive system with the right players would work in the Big Ten. Cratch. True or false? <laughs> true. I mean, if you had a top ten recruiting class every year. Right. Okay. Sarge. True. <clears throat> true or false? Rutgers fired Chris Ash too soon. <laughs> true. False. False. Sarge. True. <laughs> we'll get back to that one. Uh, true or false? The homecoming homecoming crowd will not top fifteen thousand. Bratch. Uh false. False. All right, Sarge. It will not top. I mean, it's going to be. It's probably right on that number. Yeah, that's I'll why. Say, I'll say false. Okay. <clears throat> true or false? A candidate that we haven't even considered yet will emerge. As a top guy for this job. True or false, Cratch? I'll say true. All right. As a top guy, false. False. Okay. And and true or false, finally, Cratch lost all of his nose hairs eating the shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo Steakhouse. Sarge, what do you think? True or false? (laughs) Did you bring me back a doggy bag? or? (laughs) You're not getting anything. You're not going to slip out there. You get nothing and like it. (laughs) You should have seen Obviously, the, the, true, the answer is true. You know, everyone does. <laughs> you should have seen the expression on his face when, when he got his first taste of his St. Elmo's cocktail, uh, shrimp cocktail. Crash, describe the experience. It looked like you, you, might, you were going to die at a moment at the table. I thought you might keel over and have to do CPR. Yeah, what's amazing about it is, and we discussed this at, at dinner, is you take a bite and it's spicy and you're like, okay, that's not too bad. And like, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, <laughs> boom. It's like yeah. like a flamethrower just goes up your nasal cavity. <laughs> just sets you on fire. It really does. And then it goes away in like another three seconds. It's okay. It's just crazy. It, I know. It, it, it is, yeah. It's delicious. It made the whole thing worthwhile. All right. So the one I want to talk about, uh, we <laughs> the Rutgers fired Chris Ash too soon. And obviously I cannot, I cannot in good conscience uh, uh, say that I agree with that at this point. But – Sarge, make your point. I mean, it's obvious that the, the, the dominoes here have fallen because this happened so soon. Yeah, I, I'm not even talking about the uh, the ramifications because I, I didn't see that coming. The, the, the whole redshirt angle, I didn't even right. see that coming. Um, but my whole point is it's college football, and it's hard to fire a coach at any point because it's on the NFL, and now it just prolongs the, the search. I can see both ang- uh, sides. I'm just to, to the point of you know how every Rutgers fan – all we got since really, uh, you know, the beginning of, of, of the season, 
you know, when is this guy going to get fired? What, you know, what, what, you know, when's the earliest it can happen? And everyone was talking about it. I kept on trying to pump the brakes on it, saying that it's college football and it's really, really hard uh, to, you're not going to hire a guy, you know, as soon as your permanent guy is going to be the interim guy. So, um, again, you could go true or false on it. Um, my whole point was, you know, I kind of saw this coming from, from the standpoint that, uh, you know, it just prolongs the search and just makes, you know, uh, you know, Pat Hobbs is making a lot of money. He, you know, he's a big boy. He can deal with it, but I'm sure he's miserable right now. Well, yeah, but he, I mean, is you know, because you know, we fired him after week four and now, you know, two weeks later, Hey, here's the search firm. It's like, wait, what? Well, what? It's, I, I agree. I mean, I, I just, the perception is that this it's not doing anything. And I get it. You can't talk to, you can't talk to candidates who have a job now, but you know, it, it, you have to hope there's something going on behind the scenes that we just don't know. Other, otherwise, then, you know, why do it? So here's what I, well, here's what I was told about it because I did I did press the people on it. I did not talk to Pat Hobbs, but it was someone else who who is in the know, and they put it this way. Um, right now, it's unethical, and you know, coaches. I mean, you know, maybe the slimier ones would would, would be willing to, to reach out to Pat Hobbs or have a conversation. But really, the way it goes is their agent will 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 uh, reach out. That's what these search firms do. They deal with agents, and they 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 get a get a sense of who might be uh, willing to to leave, who might be interested in that job, and it's just easier than than Pat Hobbs having to deal deal with it, dealing with a whole new world that he's just not used to de- uh, dealing with. He's not used to to dealing with agents, you know, the the, the amount of agents uh, you know, of coaches on on a daily basis. That's what these firms do, and that's basically the layer of of, of how it goes. Coaches, you know, a lot of times, especially when they're in season, they're paranoid. To, to not to do anything but focus on you know on, on on the upcoming opponent they don't want to be thinking about other jobs but that doesn't mean that their agents or their representatives aren't reaching out and putting out feelers saying yeah maybe that would be something of, of interest but it's uh, you know put my name on the list and then you could start doing the research right uh, do you think that's the right uh, that's the right way to do it cratch I think so I mean you have to use a search term I think at this point you know just because it, it keeps the circle tight obviously you know these people obviously their their business is discretion although people like us are gonna do our damnedest to find out what's going on and we usually went out in the end um, to get back to the initial true and false they fired Chris Ash right when they should fire like that he had to go the issue that I think people are starting to second guess is firing John McNulty right. just because Art threw for 300 yards, and they were a functioning offense against Boston College, you know, nine days before John McNulty got fired. They have not been a functioning offense yeah. since. Right. And I think that reading between the lines and what you hear behind the scenes, Art and Blackshear are probably still playing if McNulty's the interim head coach. Right. Yep. And Where he, if, forget about that. If he's the offensive coordinator, if they made Noah Joseph the interim head coach or Andy Boo or Pete Rosamondo, if McNulty's still here running his scheme, which wasn't terribly successful, but at least it looked like a college football team right. was supposed yep. to look like, they're still playing. So I think that's that. That is what. And when this is all said and done, that's the second guess that's going to be made. Not firing Chris Ash because the fans were ready for him to go. It was. It was the point of no return. I think the question is why? Why go over? You know, the point of when you fire a coach in season, you usually f- try to do everything you can to make it as you know limit the disruption for the team, for the staff, for everything. 
they completely turn the apple cart over by firing Nolte too. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, then that, that's really the strong. And, and maybe, maybe it's 35 14 to Indiana. It's just another score to scroll across the board. And then maybe you have a chance it's to be Liberty. Spin it's not dead spin Exactly. We're not getting, you're not getting mocked on national side. All right. Shiano rumor for the week. Do we have a Shiano rumor for the week, Crouch? We do not. I just think it's so funny that like everybody is so convinced that they know exactly what Greg Shiano is thinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a cop out, but I, I just, and like, I will say this, not a rumor of the week, but like the mental gymnastics people are doing to diminish what he accomplished yeah. at Rutgers. It's like amazing. Like, it's okay to not think he should be, you, you know, it's okay to not think he should be the top candidate or to think it's not wise to have a reunion, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, what the guy did here is pretty remarkable. It becomes more remarkable with each passing year since he's been gone. I mean, you look back on it now. I know, and at yeah. the time, believe me, I was one of the people who was like, "Oh, this guy is he ever going to win a big game?" I mean, now it's just, you're like you're like years away from playing in a big game, much less winning one. Uh, and I wrote the column. I wrote, and I think I wrote that column between this podcast and the last one about him and the relationship with Pat Hobbs. I think it is is pretty striking. That they haven't had a conversation. I don't. I think if we talk about things you could have done during this time, it's not uh, certainly not unethical to at least make contact and open a line of communications with a coach who is currently unemployed. There is no reason why there couldn't have been some meeting to say, hey, let's see if we can find common ground here. Let's see what Greg wants to do with this. Just get the get that question answered because until that question is answered. This thing doesn't go anywhere. So I'm just kind of amazed that, you know, that that wasn't the first box you cross off the list. Sorry. I know, I know we, we go back and forth about how to do it and the search for it and the process and wait until the end of the season. I mean, but why is that conversation not taking place? Uh, it's complicated, I would say, because, um, well, you're right. I mean, it should, uh, it should have already taken place. I get it because he, you know, he's not, he's not working. But again, I, there's a process of hiring the search firm. And now look, if, if between now and, and the other thing is, I think there's a legitimate feeling. I've talked to Pat Hobbs about it. Like Nunzio has an opportunity to, 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 to be the permanent coach. The no, way he, does, he, made, he doesn't have an opportunity anymore. Okay, wait, no, hold on, hold on. He'd have to win four games. Okay. <laughs> He's not winning four games with this roster. We get it. But the, the the sense of that you just promote this guy, give him the interim. You want to you don't want to just hire your your permanent coach a week or two later. You just don't. Um, so now there's a you know a, a process to it. You hire the search firm. You wait till after homecoming. You know you see the Liberty game, and then by November it's going to. If Shiano's the guy, we're going to know. You know I think early into November that you know okay this is real. If if it's not, and the one other thing to your point before where. You know, to Cratch's point, where people are talking about the one that I get all the time is, well, they didn't play anyone. They, you know, they played, uh-huh. you know, the Big East schedule, you know, the the the, the uh, you know American Athletic Conference, you know, type type schedule once, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh and Syracuse left. But that being said, Rutgers now they they don't beat Power Five competition. It, it, you know, they're, they're the last two years they have two wins: UMass and Texas State. So they're they're, they're not, not only not competitive against uh, Big Ten teams, but they lose to Buffalo, and you know they're lo- You know, it's not even a Big Ten thing. They 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 can't beat you know a legitimate uh, competition. They're, if they go one eleven this year or two and ten, you're going to have three wins against Liberty, UMass, and Texas State. You know, Seattle had better wins than that. Right, that's true. You know, and the thing too is like. 
the Big Ten, yes, the, the Big Four teams in the division, I get that. The Big Ten is not some behemoth league. I mean, Indiana, Maryland, Illinois, hey, hey. three non-conference games that you basically are hand-picking, so you don't really ever play them with the heartbeat, like – or, or you know, like, come on, like, it's not that hard to win six games. And last I checked, I, 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 Polity, you might remember this. Didn't they beat Illinois in two thousand six? Yeah, that's right. That's true. Beat beat them pretty soundly, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They beat Michigan State in two thousand four. Yeah. I know. All right, <clears throat> we got our questions from the Rutgers Insider. We're going to dive in. You guys gave me a full screen of them for this week. Uh, again, nda.com backslash text if you want to get involved. Uh, it's really been uh, it's really been a good service for us. We uh, we enjoy. The back and forth with the uh, the folks we have who have already subscribed, uh, a lot of good ones. Here's one. Let's start with this one. <clears throat> Can you guys help maybe frame up what are the most important qualifications in rank order for the next head coach? Head coaching experience, recruiting ability, Northeast ties, uh, FBS experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what's well, good? What are, what are they? Give me the, give me your three. What do you think they are, Sarge? If you had to put them in from in in order, has to be a head coach. Can't can't hire a, a, a glorified coordinator. Can't, okay. can't, can't do that. Number, number one for you. Okay. Um, needs to, uh, needs to at least know the difference between, um, you know, Bayville and, 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 uh, you know, Bayhead. I mean, like, <laughs> John like, Newman would help you with this. If we, we, if he could come up with a couple of rhyming ones for you. Yeah. Right. But they, they have to know the state. They have to be able to, to have recruited and, and have, have, you know, even if they 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 weren't born in New Jersey, but they've they have to know the the, the state. You can't just hire an out, outsider. Okay. And then again, I I I say this all the time. You you just need to have someone who you you, you uh, are convinced you know has some semblance of an offensive plan because you know that the defense isn't good. The defense is not good. It's not you know a big cal- ten caliber defense. We know that, but you know they're not historically bad. So from an offensive standpoint, doesn't have to be Graciano is not a uh, you know offensive guy, but at least you know he you know, he if he can sell you on that vision that you know that he that he can run a, a, a you know a Big Ten uh, caliber offense, then then I'm then I'm all in. But the first two are, are you know utmost importance. Do you agree, Crash, with those two in order? I think it's recruiting one, head coaching experience two, three. The guy has to have a personality. Yes. He has to be likable. Absolutely. He needs to – before – the bottom line is this. Before fans are going to believe that Rutgers can win football games again, they need to believe that the head coach is capable of winning football games. Yep. They need to believe in him. And honestly, like, I'm getting to the point where I've talked to people. The jersey ties, I get it. It's important. This is a strange place to coach. It was obviously a very big issue for Ash. If they hire the right – head coach with experience who knows that he can build a good first staff with those local ties, I think it's fine. I know the name that keeps popping up, like Willie Fritz at Tulane. Likeable guy, knows how to win football games. Pretty sure if he came to Rutgers, he'd find a way to win. It's funny you mentioned this now, sorry. You mentioned this now, Cratch. And, you know, the, it's the perfect illustration. The people who are out there th- saying that, well, Shiano's, you know, coaching against the spread or, or a nitpicking coaching strategy, guys. Here comes PJ Fleck, right? <laughs> and what is he? Like, he is the CEO of a football company. I mean, right? I mean, he's not a guy who's sitting there, you know, drawing up play. I mean, I'm sure he, he, he's coaching on game day, but, you know, by all accounts, he is just a guy who, you know, knows how to get people excited, knows how to recruit, knows how to, you know, smartly build a program. 
uh, th that's kind of a good blueprint for what Rutgers could use right now. Uh, and it segues good into the next question. Uh, do you think Minnesota is out to inflict permanent program damage on Rutgers? I don't think Fleck cares about his reputation. Uh, I have I have confidence in most games, believe it or not, but I, this may be obscenely bad. I predict 72 nothing, and I'm being 100% serious. Is Minnesota coming here to kick, kick Rutgers' ass? That's an interesting idea. What do you think, Cratch? I think there's probably some validity to yeah, that. Really? That's good. Okay. Yes. Oh boy. Yes. I th look. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys with Rutgers ties there. Yeah. Um, I will say this. I will say this. I think that removing Chris Ash from the equation may tamp those things down a bit. Mm -hmm. I think that those guys probably have, are kind of fond of their and have personal relationships with Nunzio that. And Nunzio's brother that they uh, that they maybe didn't have with Chris Ash, so I think that that kind of brings everything down. I also think that you know there's probably some fear of we don't want to do seventy eight nothing. This could happen, and you know, we discussed this when we were in Indiana. You know, Minnesota and Ohio State they can only bring seventy four kids yep. to a road game. They can't bring the fourth and fifth string and the student managers and say, okay, we're going to put you guys in after the first drive of the third quarter. Like, they're bringing their dudes. Yep. And if those guys get on the field, even if you're calling basic run plays, you don't know what's going to happen. Oh, boy. <clears throat> All right, here's another good one for you, Sarge. What do you think the cost will ultimately be for the new head coach? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, I have not gotten the definitive word, but talking to people behind the scenes, sounds like they could go up to the Big Ten um, average, which is about three point five million, um, which sounds like a, you know sounds like a lot, but you know, it's cost of doing business. Um, so I, I don't think they want to be on the low end. That's for sure. Um, I think uh, you know when it's all said and done, um, any any coach is going to come in is going to they're, they're going to want the, you know a, a competent staff. So. It'll be interesting to see more more than even the head coaching salary, which will be a lot. How much are they willing to spend on the uh, assistant coaching pool? Yeah. All right. This one, for, I'll throw this one to you, Crash, because we, we certainly talked about it in Indiana. With how bad the offensive line play has been, why are we not seeing more people subbed in to see if they can perform better? It's just a great question. And uh, it just speaks to, you know, and I talked to someone uh, who is, is pretty familiar with the level and the talent and, and the players in the mm -hmm. program. And his quote was, Rutgers doesn't have any linemen in the program. And it just struck me like, you know, you're right. If the way this line, I know we, you know, this has been a group and they put them out there, but the fact that the, the, the people behind the, behind these starters aren't seeing more playing time is pretty telling. Don't you, do you not agree with that? No, it is telling. I mean, I, I think it's a couple issues. I think one, you know, a kid like CJ Hansen, my guess is that they're probably taking the same approach they took with Reggie Sutton last year. Like, Maybe they put the kid in for the final four games. Um, I think he made his debut. The other, you know, like we're going to redshirt the kid, but let him work as much in practice as possible before we kind of put him out there. Um, no, it's injuries. I mean, you get Reggie Sutton back, you lose Raekwon O'Neal. Yeah. It's recruiting misses. I mean, right. you know, I don't want to. You know, it's not the players' fault, but you know, Chris Ash had a call-in show last year where he said we're going to go out and get a plug-and-play offensive lineman from the junior college level. Well, they went out and, and they, you know, they got Omari Cooper, who hasn't played yet this year. Yeah, and it, he's not on the two D promotion. Is he hurt? So, is he hurt? No, he, you know, he's healthy. He's healthy. You know, right. and yeah. and you know, Pete Rossimano praised him during training camp. Yeah, and it, just for whatever reason, and he was on the travel roster this past week for the first time. So maybe maybe they're getting to a point. You know, he's he as raw. He's kind of new to football, um, but 
that's the issue. They, they, they haven't recruited well. I mean, as I was talking to someone who said, you know, three of the five guys that started their offensive line are still Kyle Flood guys. That's amazing. Amazing. Because Crimin was committed. Obviously, I, I, believe, I believe Crimin was in that first Ash recruiting class, but he had committed to Flood. Vineski was a Flood guy. Kamal Seymour, I believe, was a Flood commit. Um, you know, that's it's kind of goes to show you, you know, they just they haven't done a good job. You know, maybe O'Neal. I think there are people who feel O'Neal, Sutton, and Hanson can be good Big Ten offensive linemen. Right. But there might be two, three years away, and you know, they, it just seems like there's like a there's like a gap that they're going to have to navigate. And I think the next coach is going to have to hit the, the the wire hard. He needs to get at least two or three. Grad transfer, plug true plug and play JUCO offensive line. Right. Here's another good question. Another good question. Will the Devils fire John Hines this week? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's the other. That's the the Devils insider program. I'm sorry, I just got back from the Devils game, so that cracked me up. All right, so we've got a bunch of. Uh, I think that covers most of the questions. I'll try to get to some more. I respond to some of them later. Thank you again, everyone, for for sending them. Um, all right, really quick, let's do our, our our feature. When we go on the road, we like to tell a little road trip story, and I've, I think we've got a good one. So sorry you weren't there, but, you know, Cratch is driving. Mm-hmm. I opened my laptop, and I was just going to do a little work, you know, kind of update a column. I had something I wanted to correct. And so I was on the computer for 10 minutes, and I look up, and all of a sudden, we are in – I can't only describe it like – you know, like uh, Indiana Shantytown, something with a pulled, like potholed road with like people wandering around the streets. <laughs> like, look, like, Cratch, where are we? <laughs> what happened to the highway we were on? And they, well, Waze told me to pull off. And then, uh, so you tell the story from here, Cratch, because it really, there was a moment where I thought we were going to miss our St. Elmo's uh, dinner reservation and I was going to have to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so as we were driving there, you know, Pulity was talking. He goes, you know, I think I, I think I came here one time, like for a Final Four to write. You know, it was John Wooden's hometown. <laughs> and so then on the way back, like we took, I, we had ways up the way there. It went fine. Um, way back, we we had ways up, and it it, to- it kind of took me off the interstate and was sending me through a detour um, through Martinsville. Which, as yeah. it turned out, mm-hmm. we saw it well. Welcome to Martinsville, hometown of John Wooden. Um, I was like, hey, you were right, buddy. So Steve's not really paying attention, and he pokes his head up, and he's kind of like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, we're putting around here. And I'm like, don't worry, Steve. You know, like, we've got, like, 1.8 miles left, and we're back on the interstate. We probably navigate around a little traffic jam or something. Yeah. So I get to the point where I'm, I'm literally, like, a right and a left and then a right, and I'm back on the interstate. And as I'm pulling up, I see, like, a uh, – like a like a Ferris wheel, sort of like in, the a of the in the middle of the road. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of the road, I'm like, oh, there must be a carnival in yeah. town. And I look up, and I'm like, is the street blocked off? I don't think it is. And all of a sudden, I see like a police officer is like literally blocking the street with his cruiser. So at this point, I realize the street is closed. So now I have to keep driving until I can outrun the the street closure. So then get on the street, we have to turn on and make the left, make the right. And that took about, you know, 10 minutes for me to kind of go, you know, like, you know, block over, block over, block block down, block over, and 
Blitty was not really having it. Yeah, but yeah, if this was if this was the path that Mun- uh, that uh, the Hickory had taken to play Muncie in the, in the championship game, yes. we, it would never have happened. It would never. <laughs> I dispute the I dispute the perception. I was lost. I knew exactly where we you were. I just know. had to get around the carnival. Right. Yes. Well, the moral of the story is that Sarge, you're going to have to rent the car in the next town. Okay, that's <laughs> our road trip story. Predictions, guys. You want to dive in? Uh, this the thing that's the thing that amazed me about that game was that line was everyone thought oh twenty seven and a half. Uh, reading up on it, I mean, I, I I mean the Vegas gamblers are totally onto this team. I saw the stat where this is kind of astonishing. Seventeen percent of all action in college football was on that game, and ninety five percent of it on Will, William Hill was on Indiana the cover. And one guy, one guy from New Jersey, I forget his name, <laughs> brought a $100,000 in a duffel bag to a casino in Las Vegas to put it on Indiana. That's, that's pretty amazing. The line this week, do you guys know it? You, you want to guess? 30. 30, yeah. 30. Wow. Amazing. Uh, and it still doesn't, it still doesn't feel big enough. I don't know how, I don't know what you do. I mean, you can't. How many? How big can you make it? You know, I mean, what do you think, Crash? You got a prediction? Uh yeah. I mean, what I'm, what I'm intrigued by is I'm looking on, on you know one of those you know odds listing, and I only see one book that's got even an over under, and the over under they set was 48. Yeah, I saw that, and I thought to myself like, that might be like you hit the under because it, you know, like it, it could be like I think like. Expected to be like uh, thirty-nine to nine, which would hit, which would push. That's a little ambitious for the Scarlet Knights. Yeah. So, um, I'm gonna say Minnesota wins, uh, forty-five nothing. Forty-five nothing. Excuse me, I take it back. Forty-five to two. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's much better. The, the Minnesota punter runs out the yeah. back of the end zone on the last play of the game just to avoid the catastrophe. Right. Well, Rutgers almost got a safety in the end of the game. I thought they got screwed in that call, but anyway. Uh, yeah. All right, Sarge. Whew. Uh Thirty-eight-seven, Minnesota. You're gonna give them the seven. Uh, all right. I just don't. I, I just can't imagine a scenario where the team scores. So I will go uh, uh, forty-eight nothing. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of where we're at. All right. Anything else? What, um, what do you guys got? Any, any other tidbits you want to share before we, we sign up for the week? No, I no. just, no, uh, not really. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, that's good. Rucker basketball did have an open practice on Saturday. Yep. I did not go, uh, but you know, I, I did get a report from a bunch of people who, who again, all, all positive things coming out of, uh, out of, out of Rutgers basketball, uh, preseason so far. Seems yeah. like, uh, the fighting Pikes uh, are, are uh, you know ready to uh, maybe live up to expectations? Wow, how about that? <clears throat> All right, well then that's it. Let's sign off. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back uh, after this game to recap it and push this thing forward. It's only halfway through the season. <laughs> Thanks for being loyal listeners, and we'll see you soon.